Well, good morning, folks. Wow. I've never had quite that loud of a good morning before. I'm glad to see you all here today. It's been the privilege that Betty and I have had for the last year and a half or so to serve here in the capacity of minister to senior adults and pastoral care at South Tulsa Baptist Church. Before that, we were members here from 2006 on till now, and it is my privilege to invite you who are senior adults to our Bridge Builders Luncheon, which is this Tuesday at 1130 in the Fellowship Hall. I know some of you don't consider yourself to be senior adults, but you'll have a good time and a lot of fun. I see a lot of gray heads out here, and, and it's going to be fun if you'll come and we'll have a good time together. We'll hear some folks, some men in our church give us encouragement, and we'll be celebrating our fabulous fathers. So I hope you'll come and we'll have a good time together. Well, let's open our Bibles today. I want to think about Jesus today, about how he is the greatest. This is Memorial Day Sunday, and we have many opportunities to think about what kind of losses we have experienced in our life. Many of them have been great losses. And today, we think about Jesus, who is the greatest. We turn to him and lift up our voices and say, Lord, bless us today. We need you in a special way. I want us to think for a few minutes about another great man, though none as great as Jesus. I want us to think about the, the surprising presidency of George Washington for just a few moments. I remember as a first grader in elementary school, as I entered the building, I saw a picture on the wall of an older gentleman with long gray hair, and I asked someone, who is that? And they said, well, he's the father of our country. I thought to myself, that's why he's so old. <laughs> and someone said, well, that's the first president of the United States, George Washington. You know, I, as I've gotten older, I've come to realize what a surprising presidency George Washington had. It was surprising to people who had a previous impression of who he was. Today we call him the father of our country, but he wasn't always so highly regarded. His father died when he was 11, and he couldn't afford the expense of going to school, so he had no formal education. In fact, John Adams said of George Washington, he's too illiterate, unlearned, and unread for his station and reputation. Wow. Yet this unlearned person surprised the country. He literally burst on the scene into the spotlight of leadership by commanding a company of militia at 21 years of age. On and on and on, he surprised folks. Many Americans did not expect him to be 
President George Washington, but he became the president and became revered as the father of our country. When we think of Jesus, he burst on the scene of his public ministry, but he also surprised a lot of folks. Here was a carpenter from Galilee, and many of his contemporaries did not expect very much of him either, but he finally became, or rather showed himself to be the great man that he really was. And many folks all down through the ages, as well as today, have great respect for people like Moses and Isaiah and Elijah and Jeremiah and Amos. And many of them lump the name of Jesus together with those great men and say he's one of those great men. But you know, as we open our Bibles, we're reminded that he's more than one of those great men. Listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Well, I'd say today that Jesus is more than one of the bunch, isn't he? He's more than one of the great men of the past, but he is the greatest. Jesus is the greatest. The answer, as we come to think about him this morning, as when we think about our own needs that are surfacing in our lives related to Memorial Day, we think of that black cloud of sadness that hovers over us as we think of those who have passed away and gone before us that we no longer have the opportunity to relate to and we found our, find ourselves in a funk of sadness. But, but stop and think a minute. Remember we have Jesus. He's the greatest. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he is our Lord and our Savior today. We can lean upon him. And you know, as we think of his greatness, the scripture tells us about his greatness. The scripture tells us that Jesus is the greatest for three reasons. Because of the supremacy of his message, because of the supremacy of his manhood, and because of the supremacy of his accomplishments. So let's think together for a few moments about the greatness of Jesus because of the supremacy of his message. Reading in our sermon text this morning in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. This is very, very significant because we can contrast what the book of Hebrews says about the Old Testament prophets with what it says about Jesus, the Son of God. Hebrews tells us that God spoke in times past. In the Old Testament days, he spoke to people. And he spoke through the prophets. And those prophets were men like like Isaiah and Abraham and Amos and Hosea and Jeremiah. So many great men of the past that spoke God's word. And it was authoritative words. Their words were powerful. Those words commanded the people of their day to get right with God. And by the way, those words command the people of today to get right with God. But as we look at their writings and compare them with the way Jesus related to us and has related to us the message of God, their message was fragmentary. People like Amos spoke about social justice People like Isaiah spoke primarily of the holiness of God. People, people like Hosea spoke of the God's love and forgiveness. And each of those Old Testament prophets' words were authoritative. They were the word of God. But they were just fragmentary of what the full statement of God is all about. We listen to what the Bible says about Jesus, and it says about him, it says in many times and in various ways he spoke through the prophets, but in verse 2, in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. And so as we think about what Jesus said about God, what the Son of God was being expressed, was expressing about his existence, his love, we realize that he was not a fragment of God's truth. His message was not a fragment of God's message, but in Christ, his message was the whole complete picture of God's truth. And that when Christ came on the scene, he displayed, and God, God in Christ displayed not a part of himself, but all of himself, all of his power and all of his love, what God said through the Old Testament prophets was important, and it's still important for us. I remember relating to a gentleman one day that said to me, you know, I, I, have, I believe in Jesus, and I read only the New Testament. And I encouraged him to to open the Old Testament and listen to what God says about us, to us, about, about himself in the Old Testament. And you know, you cannot minimize the importance of the Old Testament. I read the Old Testament every day, and God speaks to me, and I never fail to have a confrontation from God in the Old Testament. But when God, what God said through Christ 
is the greatest ever. In John, John chapter 1 and verse 14, the Bible says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory as of the one and only begotten Son of God, full of grace and full of truth. The full glory of God present in Jesus Christ. And though the Old Testament prophets speak with authority about the message of God and we should believe it and we should follow it, we move to verses of Scripture in John, like John chapter 3 and verse 16 and it says it all. It says it best, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And what that passage of Scripture says basically is this, the one who believes in Jesus will absolutely not perish in hell but has eternal life and will go to heaven. A person today in the 21st century, just like people in Jesus' day when he walked this earth as a human being, as a man who was God in the flesh, people can still give their lives to Christ and can still receive the blessing of eternal life and can still be forgiven and know that they're going to heaven because Jesus their life. They've accepted him as the Lord of their life. Yes, the Old Testament is an authoritative word for us, an authoritative message. But the message gave to us in Jesus Christ is the perfect message, the entire message. He sent the message that he has of God's, of his love and mercy and forgiveness in the person of Jesus Christ and said, whoever calls on the name of Jesus shall be saved. Let me tell you, that makes Jesus' message the supreme message today. Jesus is the greatest because of the supremacy of his message. And so we better listen to Jesus. We better. Listening to Jesus and deciding not to follow him is like a gentleman that drove through a bridge out sign just because he didn't believe it was true and experienced the tragedy that he didn't know was ahead. Jesus is the greatest today because of the supremacy of his message. But equally important today in our day and age is not only is Jesus the greatest because of the supremacy of his message, but Jesus is also the greatest because of the supremacy of his manhood. Look in the few verses that we have remaining in our passage today in verse 2, beginning in verse 2 and going down through verse 3. There are three issues that stand out to us that tell us the supremacy of Jesus' manhood. It says, first of all, he was appointed heir of all things. That's in verse 2. Heir of all things. Betty and I had a friend 
in an earlier church whose father willed him his ranch, 500-acre ranch. Our friend told me one day, he said, you can come out here any day as long as I am here, and I will let you come in, and, but, but you've got to go where I tell you to go. You cannot drive in my pasture. I don't want ruts from your truck in my pasture to ruin my pasture. And he said, you can go in there and you can, you can target practice, but only at this one particular place because it had a backstop of a large mound of dirt that I could target practice, shoot my gun into, and it would not harm somebody else. And he was telling me, he was saying that my father used to own this, but I own it now, and it's mine. And as long as you're on my place, you have to do what I say. Well, I took his word <laughs> because he was my good friend and I wanted the privilege of going on his property. And you know, as we read this Bible about what it says about Jesus being the heir of all things, you know what that means? It means that every single part of the universe from the atoms to the solar systems belong to him. He has ultimate control over all creation. The second point from this verse and verse 3 that describes the, the, the supremacy of his manhood, not only is, the, is he the heir of all things, but he is the radiance of God's glory. The brightest rays of God's glory shines in the person of Jesus. Now, let's see if I can relate to you something that made this truth more believable and more down-to-earth for me. When I was a child, I discovered that I could use a magnifying glass on a bright, sunshiny day, and I could have a newspaper underneath that magnifying glass, and I could focus the rays of the sun to one hot point on that newspaper and I could set it on fire. I was telling this story to someone in, to the other earlier group in the earlier worship service. One guy came up and said to me, yep, said, you can do that to ants too. <laughs> I never had tried it. <laughs> I know I'm going to get letters from environmentalists who don't want me to say that. But now, let's think about that a moment. When we go out into this earth, into this world, and, and see God's creation, we see the beautiful sun, we see the green grass, and hear the birds singing, and the trees, and on a beautiful, bright, warm, sunny day like we had yesterday, and we feel so close to God. But never... Are we so close to God in an instance like that than we, as, than we are when we give our lives to Jesus because in Jesus God focused the radiance of his glory in Christ. Where Jesus is, you can run to him and be saved. You can 
experience his forgiveness, you can experience the gift of eternal life, you can experience the presence and power of God in your life because in Jesus the brightest point of God's power shines. It is indeed true that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, now, we're talking about the supremacy, that Jesus now is the supremacy of God's manhood. He is the greatest because of the supremacy of his manhood. Another thing we want to say about the supremacy of his manhood is that the Bible says he is the exact representation of his God's being. Colossians 1.15 says he is the image of the invisible God. If you'll permit me a little liberty in thinking about what it means to have Christ as the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? I know it's not possible to take a picture of God because he is a spirit and they who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But if you can take a photograph of the face of God, it would be the face of Jesus. He's the exact representation of God the Father. He is the image of the invisible God. You see, this is a bold declaration, a bold proclamation today. One of the issues that, make Je- that, that causes us to say Jesus is the greatest is the supremacy of his manhood. The other one that we've already spoken about is He is the greatest because of the supremacy of his message. But now, when you put those two things together and ask what does this mean today to say that he is the greatest because he's the supremacy of, because of the supremacy of his message and because of the supremacy of his manhood, what does that mean? That means the third point is equally powerful and true. He is the greatest because of the supremacy of his accomplishments. Without the supremacy of his message and the supremacy of his manhood, you would not see the supremacy of his accomplishments. He is the greatest because of the supremacy of his accomplishments. The Bible says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word after he had provided purification of sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. William Barclay, a noted biblical scholar and author, says this about Christ, and I quote, the original, the original glory of God belongs to him, that is Jesus. Jesus is God's glory. 
Therefore, we see with amazing clarity that the glory of God consists not in crushing men and reducing them to servitude, but in serving them and loving them and in the end, dying for them. It is not the glory of shattering fire, or rather of shattering power, and listen to this, but the glory of suffering love. The glory of God in Christ is the glory of suffering love. Because of Christ's suffering love, he provided purification for our sins, and he did what no one else could do. We listen to what the Bible says in Psalm chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, and you listen as I share with you. The psalmist asked the question, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? Then he lists the folks who can dwell close to him. He says, first of all, the one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart. Secondly, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others. Third, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. Now I ask you today, who can possibly do all this? Who, uh, if your people like you and I are, who can possibly do all this? We're flawed. We're not perfect. We can't. Unless we give our lives to Jesus. We can't rise to the level of being accepted by God on our own goodness. But listen to what the Bible says about what God did for us in Jesus. It said God, it says God made him who had no sin to become sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What we cannot do for ourselves, God has done for us in Christ. He says, I know that you can't measure up. Therefore, I sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins and take your sins upon himself and in return give you his forgiveness. It's the wonderful miracle of exchanged strength. We exchange our sins and our gift for God's forgiveness. So, Jesus ascended to the throne of the, of the Father where he assumed his place of honor at God's right hand. And today we proclaim Jesus is Lord. He is the greatest. 
He is the greatest because of his message, the supremacy of his message. He is the greatest because of the supremacy of his manhood. He is the greatest because of the supremacy of his accomplishments. We can go no higher than the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, it's impossible to give too little attention or to give too much. Let me back up and say, it's impossible to give too much honor and too much glory and too many acclamations to Jesus Christ. We can't overstate his greatness. We cannot make him greater. He is the greatest of all. He is our King of kings and Lord of lords. He's God himself. He's the one that we reach up to today in our time of hurting and discouragement and need for comfort and strength. A New Testament scholar has said, we should not disparage the founders of any of the great world religions, but it is simple truth that none of them is entitled to be the Savior of the world. Jesus alone bears this designation, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I don't know how many times I've sat in the presence of precious folks who right on the edge of their death. They did not, had not, throughout their lifetime, up until this moment, ever wanted to give their lives to Christ because they didn't know that they needed him. And now on the edge of their death, they knew they did. And so many times, God gave me the blessing of helping an individual who had never considered the brevity of their life and the length of eternity and had never given their lives to Christ knowing that he would forgive their sins and give them the gift of eternal life. And they turned to him and asked him to save them. I wonder, I wonder if there are some of you folks here today who would like to come and give your life to Christ. I remember the day I walked the aisle as a 15-year-old boy, suddenly realized I needed the Lord Jesus. I was sitting out in the back end of the uh, what I thought was a place where I could not be viewed by the preacher on the, at the pulpit with the young people and told jokes and laughed and cut up. And then the Lord got my attention. And he woke me up. And I came and gave my life to Jesus. I wonder if there is an adult or a young person or a child in this place today who would like to come and give your life to Jesus Christ. Because he is supreme. 
He is the greatest. He loves you very, very, very much.